about this time, 12 years ago-ish, um, Cody and I, my wife, we were working in Christian camping. And so we did a lot of retreats. Uh, and about this time, I really think it was about 12 years ago, I remember sitting in a staff meeting. It was the first part of the year, you know, everybody's tackling their, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, resolutions, their goals, looking forward to, to keeping to these. And we had an administrator who I loved dearly. He was a, a dear uh, brother, kind of like a, a spiritual father early on in our ministry that helped me. Um, until this moment, he showed up to our staff meeting with a book entitled, uh, so remind, remind you, we were looking for productivity in this year. All right, We wanted to tackle all these resolutions. He showed up to a staff meeting, um, our devotion. We would meet a couple times a week with a book entitled 99 Ways to Simplify Your Life. No? Nothing? 99 Ways to Simplify Your Life. Like, I remember him showing us that. I thought it was a joke. I thought, 99? I can't even do one to simplify my life right now. Now you're asking me to, to think about 99 ways to simplify your life. Man, I think we made it to like day 19 before everybody just said, hey, let's just move on to something else, like the Word of God. Let's just go there. That's probably where we should start. If we're not careful, sometimes in life, we find ourselves doing this, right? We pile on more and more strategies, more techniques, more things to do, more ways to simplify our, our life, thinking about the things that we need to do to accomplish today. I just need to do this because everybody seems to be passing me. I feel stuck in the mud and I need to do more. Now, while some techniques and strategies are super helpful for a season. I'm not going to say for all times of, of if you do this, it'll simplify your life. While that might help for a season, um, I know it's going to wear yourself out. I know you will wear yourself out because I have done that. It's more things to do. The reality is those tools can lead to unnecessary pressures and weighty expectations that we put on ourselves. And this morning, we're looking at a passage of Scripture. I've used many of times to counsel people, many of times to even sit in this myself over the years. And if I'm totally honest with you right now, which I should be all the time honest with you, this passage is where I've been camped out uh, for a good season right now. It's a beautiful passage, but I, I camp out there mainly because I don't have 99 things I can do to simplify my life. Like I wake up in the morning and it's like, what is the one thing that I can do? How can I live for Jesus today? So this morning, instead of 99, I'm only going to give you 37 things to do. I was joking. <clears throat> I am curious, though. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. Just to, to give this survey real quick, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand, because uh, I am curious. How many of y'all would just say, with a show of hands, um, I'm, I'm super overwhelmed at the moment right now. Like you find yourself in a season where you're overwhelmed, where you, you are extremely tired and exhausted, or maybe you feel very burdened. Got a couple of hands. Maybe you just feel very, oh, there we go. There we go. Maybe you just feel burdened with everything happening to you and in the world right now. It's about, that's about what I was hoping for, not just me being the only one. I do appreciate you being honest, and I get it. Like, I understand genuinely where you are coming from. And I don't know if somewhere along the way in our Christian faith, we had it in our minds that the Christian faith would be easier. Like, if we just convinced ourselves that, hey, it's going to get easier one day, 
Or maybe uh, we figured that this Christian faith would be less heartache, less spiritual warfare. Or maybe we were taught that the Christian faith would make our life full of prosperity. But I'm not there. And many of you who raised your hands aren't. And it seems like there's something to this being tired and weary and heavy burdened. But when faith is hard and our burden is heavy, it's the heart of Jesus that says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this morning, I'm going to do my very best, pointing us to this scripture, this passage of seeing into, just catching a glimpse of the, uh, the heart of our servant king, Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, just a, a brief prayer, because I need all the help I can get, and I, I feel like we need the help of the Spirit this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would draw us into your presence Father, into the arms of you, our Father. I pray that we would experience the heart of our servant King Jesus today. Lord, to experience the powerful, transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that, please? Would you help us in all of our tired and weary hearts? Would you show up, expose pride? Would you help us just draw near to you as you've drawn near to us? We need your power of the Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text, Matthew 11, as Stephen read, I'm gonna read verse 25 through 30 again. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to, be, to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, my, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus starts our passage here with at that time. So we're picking up at the end of chapter 11 here, and Jesus transitions uh, with at that time. So be very clear, a lot has happened, and this phrase tells us that. There's this transition, this pivot that he is in his teaching going from this to that. So to put things in perspective, just within what we've covered in moments in Matthew uh, over this sermon series, a few chapters back, five through seven, we see Jesus' divine teaching during the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, five, six, and seven. Right in the middle of that, we see the Father's invitation to pray with him. That's where we get the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray, this Trinitarian prayer. From there, we moved into chapters 8 and 9, and we were awakened to see that the servant King Jesus has all authority, divine authority over disease, over disaster, and yes, even over demons. Now, we didn't get a chance to get into chapter 10, but for context, because it does go hand in hand with this, Jesus does all, performs all of these miracles, and then he commissions, he sends out his disciples to go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He gives them clear marching orders in this. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, 
cleanse the lepers, and drive out the demons. And all along, he, he warns them. He doesn't tell them it's going to be easy. He, he, matter of fact, he tells them some will love you and some will absolutely persecute you. This is where we get phrases like this that I'm sure some of us have heard. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Beware of those who will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in their synagogues. Other phrases in chapter 10 says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Like these marching orders, if you will, as he commissions them, are not easy, but he reminds them of who he is, the promised Messiah, the Son, and he also reminds them of the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit will speak, work through them, and speak through them. And that gets us into chapter 11. He sends, commissions them out, and then chapter 11, we see Jesus continues to move from town to town and preach the good news that his kingdom is near. And he keeps reminding them all that this kingdom is an upside down. He draws their attention back to the Sermon on the Mount where we heard things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers, and the merciful, blessed are the persecuted. And in chapter 11, Jesus references an, an Old Testament passage here. Isaiah 61 says this, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Like, church, this is a story of his redemption. That God's mission was advancing and that his kingdom was breaking into this broken world. But, very important here, we get to the middle of this narrative of Jesus' ministry, and we see that the kingdom of light is colliding head-on with this kingdom of darkness. It's like this, this is an epic part of the narrative. It truly is a transform, uh, transformative time for the disciples. It's not just walking with Jesus and seeing all this cool thing. Now he's commissioned them, he's sent them out, and he says, hey, you're going to be hated because of me. Hard times. This is the epic point of the story. Better than any Star Wars movie and better than any Jason Bourne movie. This is the epic battle that we see here. The word has become flesh uh, and literally is pushing back darkness at this point in the narrative. From there, Jesus passionately issues, I want you to hear this, a warning to those who have seen these miracles so he's, he's going from commissioning and sending out, reminding them of who he is, who, what his kingdom is about. And then he transitions, he passionately issues this warning of those who have seen and experienced these miracles, but have done nothing with them. They've seen it, they kind of just, their attitude was like, oh yeah, that's cool, I'm just going to keep living this life. No repentance. You'll see what he says in verse 16 and 20, to what should I compare this generation. It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children. Verse 20, then he proceeded to denounce the towns. His home base is who he's denouncing here. Like where his ministry, where most of the miracles was done, he denounced the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. In verse 16 and 20, Jesus calls out this unresponsive generation. 
people who have closed their eyes to the powerful kingdom that has come right in front of them. They turned their blind eye to the kingdom of, the, of Jesus. So, at that time, because of that, now we see Jesus' response. Lots of turmoil, lots of opposition. We see his response. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Jesus now turns his teaching into a prayer to the Father. And this prayer builds off of the rejection of those who have turned their eyes from him. Like that's where this prayer is coming from, from the opposition, from those who have turned their eyes on him. And as quickly as pride slams shut the door, too prideful of a generation, they, they didn't turn and repent, they saw everything that was good, but pride was the ruler of their heart. As quickly as pride slams shut the door, humility opens wide the door to the kingdom. Humility opens wide the door to the kingdom. Jesus here confronts the sin of pride head on, all while staying focused on his mission, which is advancing the kingdom of humility. The first thing I want you to see is that this is a kingdom of humility. You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. It's here that Jesus compares the wise and the intelligent to the infants. Interesting, right? He says that the wise are unable to understand his teachings. That's what he's talking about. They don't, the wise and understanding do not understand his teaching, but it's revealed to the infants, to the children. Jesus is not saying that the difference here lies between intelligent and not intelligent. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying uh, it, it lies here between adults and children. Instead, the contrast here is between those who are self-sufficient in their life and rest on their own understanding, their own wisdom, their own knowledge, and those who are totally dependent on the Lord and who love to be taught by the gracious teacher. That's the distinction here. Those who are self-sufficient and those who are full of humility and says, yes, Lord, please more. I need your wisdom and knowledge. It's the difference in the gospels between the entire religious system and the 12 ordinary men called disciples that he chose to follow him. It's that difference. It's the difference between the rich young ruler in the Gospels who walked away confused but with his pockets full of, mo of money and the wee little man named Zacchaeus who climbed up on the sycamore tree and came down and not only opened his pockets back to the poor and said, take what I have, but opened his heart to Jesus. One commentator uh, from Preaching the Word says this, the, this contrast in the Gospels is between the scriptural savvy scribes and the seemingly gullible fishermen. It's the difference between the Pharisee who lifts his eyes to heaven and says, oh Lord, I'm glad I'm not like them, and the tax collector who pounds his chest and says, oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. It's the difference between Caiaphas who points at our Lord and demands in effect, are you the son of God? And the Roman centurion who points to Christ crucified and says, truly, this was the Son of God. Church, God is not looking for big shots here. Like he's not looking for, he's not interested in the somebodies. He wants the nobody. 
That's who the disciples were, the nobodies. He's not interested in you being somebody. He's interested in you coming to him and saying, yes, Jesus, I follow you. I give you everything I have. And so, be very clear to my non-Christian friends here this morning. I think a question that we have to start with is, are you enough of a nobody for him to be interested in you? Or is your self-worth and your self-righteousness and the things that you do to earn the favor of God, like, are you resting in your own work? Or are you willing to look in the mirror and say, I'm a nobody who needs the Son of God? You have to wrestle through that. Can you acknowledge that you are not good enough for God? My prayer for you this morning is that you would breathe in the word of God, that you would repent, turn from that self-righteousness because Jesus comes to you and says, rest. You'll see here in just a moment. He says, rest in my work, rest in my accomplishments, in my grace because my grace is sufficient. That's the call to coming to be a believer putting your faith in Jesus. Don't turn your, a blind eye to the grace of Jesus this morning. Instead, turn your pride and your self-sufficiency and put your faith in Jesus, the one who did the work on your behalf, the one who came to set the captive free and heal the brokenhearted. And then, to my brothers and sisters here, to the Christian this morning, one of the greatest obstacles to an abundant life full of adventure with God is our own pride. It's the difference between the prideful businessman who cheats his way to the top and the poor single parent who is poor in spirit but gives what they have for the better of others, for the good of others. It's the difference between the one who withholds their spiritual gifts from the body out of embarrassment or fear of man, I don't want to operate in this, and the one who faithfully shows up, earnestly desiring to grow in the gifts and just says, here I am, Lord, use me. It's the difference between the one who says they don't need community because them and the man upstairs are good. We've got this good relationship happening. And the one who shows up to their community group after a long day, exhausted, but ready to build up and encourage their brothers and sisters. Church, there is no room for pride to be the ruling principle in your life or my life. There's no room for it. And so often, if we let it, if we're not careful, maybe even unintentionally, we let pride creep into our hearts and becomes the authority over all of our actions. Pride cannot be the controlling voice in our heart, telling us what to do, especially as we see here in the kingdom of humility. Let's look at verse 27 together. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Second thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the sovereign King. So you see His kingdom is full of humility. Now we see that Jesus truly is the sovereign King. As we get this glimpse into the heart of Christ, we get to see some of the inner workings of the Trinity here. Here's what I mean. Father, Son, and Spirit, 
first thing that we see is Jesus alone knows the Father. He doesn't just know him, like they're not just Facebook acquaintance friends, like where they know, he intimately knows the Father. Him and his Father are one. He knows the true intimate relationship of what it means to be Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus alone knows the Father, the Father. and this knowledge of the Father is what uh, 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 con- connects us to the second truth. The second truth that we see here is Jesus alone reveals the Father. So he alone knows the Father. Number two, he alone reveals the Father. And the only people who know the Father are those to whom, as Scripture says, the Son desires to reveal him. Like this is part of the mission of God here, that Jesus wouldn't just come with a word from God that we saw in John 1.14, that he came as the word of God made flesh which is how God has been revealed to us here on earth through the work of Christ. The only way we know God is through the Son. That's what Jesus says, not through the wisdom or the ways, not through our self-righteousness, not through our own wisdom or the ways of this world. We know him through the Son. If you look back at verse 25, God has hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and he's revealed them to the infants. Knowing God is out of his divine grace that, as Paul says, has been lavished on us. I want us to read and listen and listen to the parallels with this passage from Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul speaking. He said, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us. You hear what Paul's doing? He's he's unveiling the mystery here. He made known to us all the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Jesus alone knows the Father. Jesus alone reveals us to the Father, and he alone is the sovereign king in whom we now can know the Father. Like, that's good news for us as Christians. We're not just children cast away in hopes of of this relationship with our Father. No, the Father draws near to us by sending us his Son. What beautiful, what a beautiful picture that is, that he would love us, that he lavished his grace on us through his Son. So we have the kingdom of humility. We see the sovereign king. Now I want us to hear the king's invitation. Verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here we have the final glimpse 
into the heart of Jesus. Dane Ortland and Gentle and Lowly says this, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is. We are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he is exhaust, uh, exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. What savior is this? Out of the gentle and lowly heart of Christ, we see the invitation to us that says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. So just quick reminder, what's been taking place. The kingdom's been advancing. Remember, there's opposition. Jesus's true disciples are experiencing all of this opposition, maybe even some persecution. And Jesus tells them that, hey, this is actually just the beginning. Some are going to love you, but probably others are going to hate you. Most people will hate you because of me. Like that, that alone right there is a lot of heaviness. Already I'm thinking alone, cast out by myself. It's a lot of heaviness to try and process. And to top that off in this time, you have a bunch of self-righteous religious leaders who kept adding more and more rules to live by to the followers of Jesus. Do this. You need to give more. You need to sacrifice more, more and more and more. And Jesus knows that. Like he sees that, not just that he senses it, because I'm sure he does, but he's witnessing people adding to his word, adding to this kingdom. That's why he says his kingdom is, is one that says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. He says, that's not my kingdom. Do more, practice more, make sure you're, you're righteous enough. He didn't come for those who find their worth or approval in man. He said, I didn't come for the self-righteous. Instead, he says, I came for the poor and the needy. Jesus invites all who are weary and heavy burdened. Don't come to religion. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go clean yourself up and then you can come to me. He says, come to me now. All who are needy, all who are heavy burdened. And this is radically different from any other religion that we find in the world right? Think about it. Any other religion is do this so that you can earn the favor of this person. Do this, do more of it, do more of it, and then maybe let's reassess, nope, still need to do more of it, still need to do more of it. And he says, come to me all who are heavy burdened, to the poor and the needy. Blessed are the persecuted. What a kingdom this is. Jesus wants everything. Christian, he wants all of you everything about you. The beauty of this invitation is that he also wants all of the weight of the sin that you find yourself in now, previously, and the sin that you're gonna walk into. Like he wants all of it. It's not just this call for some of it. It is a call for you to lay everything at the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't even stop there. It's not even uh, lay all of your sin and garbage at his feet. He even wants you to lay down your inability to obey his commands at his feet. Commands, good, yes, of course, live out those commands, but they're not meant to be carried by your own strength. He says that. 
Like you cannot be good enough. The call to Christianity is not a call to be better. It's a call to come and die. It's a call to come humbly to the feet of the cross and say, here I am. When you go to him, do you see how he responds? Jesus gives himself to us, and now he has, all he has is ours. Ortland goes on and says this, and gentle and lowly, he doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is, the, it is his very heart. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. Man, in Christ, we are free from having to try to live and prove our worth. I don't know about y'all, but I, I've been caught up in that many of times in ministry where what I did defined me. And I gotta do this to feel like I'm, I'm somebody. Remember, the call's not for somebody who thinks that there's somebody, it's for the nobodies. That's what the call is here for. Free from self-improvement. And hear me, you are free from the constant enslavement to try and overcome the guilt and even the shame of your sin. Because through the king's invitation, you are now counted righteous and are able to rest and have peace, true peace before God. And as you go to him, we find rest. We see that Jesus gives us his complete ability to obey God. Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Now, in context here, a yoke is this wooden instrument that gets placed on the shoulders of, of two different oxen to kind of make the load uh, less of a burden. It, it spreads out the weight as they are plowing or carrying uh, this wagon, trying to work together. Typically, there would also be a younger oxen. So you have these two oxen, one's younger, who's on the outside, and one's on the inside that's typically stronger or older or more mature that can help carry a little bit more of the weight. That's what we have here, this imagery uh, of this feeble one, oxen, next to, uh, in the yoke with this strong one. And in this picture, can I just, I think you know where I'm going. Jesus is the stronger one, not you. He doesn't need you. Instead, he invites you in to carry his yoke with him. He invites us, the weak and the helpless, the needy to join in his yoke. Out of our weakness, we are now covered by his strength. Now this, some of y'all are like, man, that doesn't sound restful. It doesn't sound restful to, to think about this yoke on your shoulders. It doesn't sound comfortable. But what yoke is supposed to be comfortable? What burden is supposed to be light? Jesus never promises the escape from reality. Like, that's not what this is a call to. Come and leave all of your problems, and I'll just take care of everything for you, and you just sit on the couch, recliner, and hang out. He doesn't say that. He says, no, come join in on my yoke. Let me be the one that put this on your shoulders, and let's do this together. Life is uncomfortable, and it's hard, and it's tiring, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but when you take up his yoke, it's there it's there that you'll actually find rest. It's in his yoke that you can breathe in his forgiveness. You can breathe in his grace and, and his mercy on you. By the power of the Spirit, then you can live in that strength. 
while in the yoke, he says, learn from me. Studied through this multiple weeks. The word learn here when translated is similar to make disciples. I thought this was so interesting. The actual word translated is the one that comes from make disciples in the Great Commission that you'll see with Pastor Lucas in a couple of weeks. So in this moment, we see Jesus saying, let me teach you how to be my disciple, and it's there that you're going to find rest for your soul. Again, not prop your feet up and let him do the work. It's let him carry it, help you. You do the work alongside him through his strength and his power and his grace and in his might. And I know some of y'all are just saying, like, learning can be hard, Matt. Yes, it can. It can. It does not get easy. It's tiresome. It's frustrating. And it can be consuming. But you're absolutely correct. Jesus has the answer for you, though. What does he say? My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tony Morita in Christ-Centered Exposition says, Jesus alone knows the Father. He reveals the Father and perfectly obeys the Father. Therefore, when we come into the yoke with him, he leads us in terms of how to walk with the Father. He enables us to do what we could never do on our own. And when we are in the yoke with Christ, we work in peace with God. In other words, we obey God, not by our own strength, but with the very strength of Christ. What a beautiful picture of what it means to walk with Jesus. Just a closer walk with thee. It's not a life full of simplicity. It's not a life where it's all just hunky-dory and everything's great. and We're all just hanging out, singing kumbaya. No, it's an it's a invitation from the servant king that says, hey, Let me put my yoke on you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And let's do this. Pastor Rick, I I come back to this all the time. He calls us into this beautiful adventure through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit puts the yoke on your shoulders, it's so that we would learn from the Father by looking at the life of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When faith is hard and our burden is heavy, it's the heart of Jesus that says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So in closing, I didn't plan this, but I think I'm going to, it's always dangerous, right? I'm not gonna preach another sermon. I want to pray. When I think about walking with Jesus, I think about Psalm 23. Like just, it's a beautiful picture of what he does, but also what he calls us into isn't always um, the easiest road, the easiest route. And Psalm 23 is a beautiful picture of what what it means to come to the feet of, of Jesus, what he calls us into, what he provides for us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So I'm gonna pray this over us, Psalm 23. And then we're going we're to pray, and we're going to go into our response time. I'll give you some questions to kind of think through and just assess your heart. But as I pray this scripture, I don't know where you find yourself. I know half of us find ourselves tired, weary, 
heavy burdens. This is not a call for you to do more. Again, this is a call that you would come into the, the presence of Jesus, our servant king, with all humility and allow him to put his yoke on you. Whatever burdens you're carrying, don't carry them by yourself. You're not called to do that. So let's, let's pray. Psalm 23. God, you are our shepherd. You're our shepherd. Lord, we have everything that we need. You're the one that lets us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. Lord, you are the one that renews our life. not our own strength. You renew our life. You lead us along the right paths for your name's sake. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Or for your name's sake. I love this. It's not easy. Lord, you never told us it was going to be easy, but when we go through the darkest valley, we fear no danger. Lord, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As if that's not enough. Like we could stop there. The comfort of the king. That we would fear no danger. In the darkest valley. That you're the one leading us. As if that's not enough. You tell us that you prepare a table before me in the presence of our enemies. Sin does not overcome us. The kingdom of light continues to push back the kingdom of darkness. You are reigning over all, above all, in all, and through all. Your kingdom come. Lord, you prepare the table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil. Which is what just beautiful imagery that is. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Father, I don't know where where we're all at. Maybe some of us feel alone, outcast, this burden's just too much to carry. God, would you draw near to the brokenhearted? That's a promise, and, and your word is true. And in this moment, I pray that they would experience, Lord, just the, the power of your Holy Spirit overcoming their, their hearts, that their breathing would be easier. draw near to you because you're pursuing them and drawing near to them. Lord, and for my friends here who have um, been living a, a life of just being a good person, self-sufficient, help them see their need for you. That tired way of life of doing things and 
earning favor of the world leaves us hopeless. You are the giver of life. Shalom, peace is found in you. Would you give them peace this morning? Would they turn? Would they repent from their sin? Would you heal them? Give them a new heart this morning. And each of us, Lord, would you work in, work through us as we build up the body. We love you, Father. We praise you. Thank you for drawing near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.